You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. All right. Welcome to Life Tree Community Church. If you don't know by now, um, I'm not going to tell you who I am. Um, uh, <laughs> for those online, I'm Pastor Dan. How's that? There we go. For anybody watching online, um, welcome to Life Tree. We're continuing our study in the story of Daniel. Uh, a character from the Old Testament, and it's a study, as we said, in contrasts. Daniel is this Jewish young man uh, raised in Jerusalem, but then because the people of Israel kind of abandon God and forget him, uh, God allows the Babylonian Empire to come and conquer them, and they exile the best and the brightest, which, of course, Daniel is one of them. Um, All Daniels are bright and good-looking, um, and so uh, they exile him to Babylon somewhere around 600 B.C., so quite a long time ago, um, about 3,000 years, somewhere to, somewhere in that range, um, and uh, idols are commonly worshipped at that time. They did not honor the God of Israel. They don't even know the God of Israel, um, so as a people who don't know living God recognize that there was something more out there, so they're worshipping something, so they're basically worshiping the most likely thing they can find, if it's this rock, if it's that tree, if it's the sun, if it's some other god that they can come up with that somebody makes up, they're, they're going to worship it. Um, and so they worship whatever's most logical. So Daniel's got this faith coming out of the Jewish tradition in the living God, the God who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the way down, Moses, right? He's got this genealogy of faith being handed down to him, and he's in the middle of people who have no idea about that God. So you've got this study in contrasts, and uh, we're calling this series American Idols, right? Because Daniel did not live in America, so it's not about that, but that the same idols that were being worshipped in essence back in Babylon really are still being worshipped today in 2022 in America. It's the same essence, the same, the same things that are trying to take God's place in our life. And that's the thing. Um, It's a daily battle, something that we fight regularly, something that we encounter every single day. There are other forces contending for your worship, contending for your attention, for your energy, for your life. Um, And so I think it's helpful just to take a moment. We'll restate the basics of idolatry, of what idolatry is, that we're all on the same page. Um, God is very loud about the dangers of idolatry. You read throughout Scripture, Right? It's in the commandments, don't have any other idols. He's constantly talking, idols are bad, warning, warning, Will Robinson, warning, warning. Right? There's, there's, uh, how many of you actually got that reference? Okay, yeah, danger, I know, but I'm saying warning, danger, Will Robinson, you got it. Okay, there we go. So I'd say that's a good 15% of the room. Um, idols seek to take God's place in our hearts. That's what they always do, it's a deception. They seek to take God's place in our hearts. They promise shortcuts to what God already gives us. Um, they appeal to our self-serving interests, right? So they, they say, hey, I know what you want. I'll promise you whatever you want. They demand more and more and give less and less until they ultimately take everything and give nothing. And ironically, idols end up costing us the very thing we want that God says he'll give to us, but because we go looking for it elsewhere, it costs us that thing. And, and so... The choice is not whether to worship or not to worship. We're going to worship something. The choice is just who and what we will worship. So with all of that in mind, we've been looking at different idols. Week one, we talked about the idol of approval. If you remember this, that it promises that pleasing others will bring you validation. That if you get enough approval from other people, you will feel good about yourself. 
Ultimately, it makes us a slave to the opinions of others. And the truth is that God is our judge. We have his approval. You don't need the approval of others. We've got God's approval. But the idol of approval tells us you, you constantly need more approval from other people, right? God says, no, I got you. I love you, right? So but that's what the idol does. Then week two, we talked about the idol of understanding, the promises that if, if we know more, if I understand more, if I have more information, I will be better off. I will be more peaceful. I will be more content. If I can just figure out why, answer all the questions, I will be better off. And it costs us trust because we begin to question everything and everyone and we, we, we embark on this never-ending impossible quest to know it all. And that's not reality. We'll, there will always be unanswerable questions, always be stuff we don't know. And here's the truth. God knows it all and gives us the knowledge we need for what we have to face and reveals everything that is good for us to know. Right? We said there are some things that are not good for us to know. And God isn't, he's not hiding by not telling us. He's actually loving us by not revealing everything. And so again, the idol says, hey, if you know the serpent in the garden, if you do this, you will know what God knows. They found out what God knows and did their life get better? No, it got worse. Right? The idol of understanding promises this, overpromises, underdelivers, costs them the very thing that they wanted that they had in the first place because God already given it to them. That's what idols do. Week three, the idol of security. Shana talked about this. It promises that you can guarantee your well-being. If you work hard enough, if you take control of everything, you will be safe from all harm. And she very eloquently shared how it costs us the opportunity to be brave. If we prioritize safety, we abandon courage, which leads us to unexpected places. If, if the goal is to be safe, we will never venture out into those unexplored, those new places, those, those greater levels that God says, hey, follow me here. The truth is we couldn't be more secure in God's hands. We can have complete peace knowing we're in his hands. The idol says, hey, try and guarantee your safety. God says, I've already got your safety. Trust me. Trust me. Today, we're going to talk about the next one, and I think it's perhaps one of the most dangerous idols there are. Um, those who worship it have done some of the most hurtful things and harmful things in human history. And it's the idol of power. The idol of power. Power both intoxicates and terrifies people. Andy Crouch, if you, I'm going to quote him a lot today, so I'm sorry. He just wrote a great book. It's called Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. So if you'd like to read it, I highly recommend it. But he says this, no one ever knows how much power they have and no one ever has enough power. I'll say that again. No one ever knows how much power they have, and no one ever has enough power. Complicated, isn't it? The idol of power deceives us into thinking that the purpose of power is for our own personal good. And when we worship it, we do so much harm. I'm going to invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to read about this idol of power that's revealed here, about a king who ended up, who knew better, but ended up worshiping power anyway. So we're going to pick it up in Daniel chapter 4. It's the next story of, of, in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verse 1. Again, this is a good name for your dog, okay? King Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Let's call him Neb for short, right? King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people, of every race and nation and language throughout the world. And he says this, peace and prosperity to you. That's a good king we start. 
A king's peace and prosperity to you. Sounds like something a king would say. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever, his rule throughout all generations. And I want to pause and point out one thing that's worth noting. Nebuchadnezzar is from Babylon, not Jewish, not from the nation of Israel, did not grow up under what we would call the living God. He didn't know that God, okay? And he's the one telling this story, right? This is Nebuchadnezzar narrating. He wrote this. This is his words. He's the one telling, or, or it's recorded. I don't know if he literally wrote it. He probably is a king. He probably dictated it. And you, come here, write this for me, right? That's, that's how I do it in, in our house, right? Ethan, come here. You write this for me. Um, <laughs> now, uh, Siri. Hey, Siri. Yeah, that's how it goes. All right. And he acknowledges the miracles, wonder, and supremacy of Israel's God. Just think, sorry, hey, Siri. And everybody's phone was like, was like, should we move up? Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. That works. All right. Uh, I should just throw that in every once in a while. See what happens. See whose phone is listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, Google. <laughs> okay, Google, right? Is that what it is? Okay, Google? Yeah. All right. So he acknowledges the miracles, wonders, and supremacies of Israel's God. And it's just incredible that, to me that this is someone who is outside the, the nation of Israel who is telling the story about the wonders of God. It's really pretty remarkable. Um, so to make a long story short, the king has a dream. He's got, he's, this guy likes to dream. Um, and none of the wise men could figure it out until Daniel shows up. Daniel walks in. He's like, nobody's figuring this out. The magicians, the astrologers, the wise men, nobody's figuring it out. Daniel comes in. Ah, Finally, somebody that can help. We, we skip to verse 8. It says this, At last Daniel came in before me, it's the king again narrating, and I told him the dream. He, meaning Daniel, was named Belteshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said to him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. Again, I just want to point out, wisdom and understanding come from where? God. Okay, no matter how smart they were, the astrologers and the magicians couldn't figure it out. They're lost. It was the spirit of God in Daniel that gave him understanding, and the king knew it. The spirit of the holy gods. That, that's who, whatever that is, he didn't even have a language for it, but whatever that is, it's in, it's in Daniel. That's where his wisdom comes from. It's not that Daniel's so smart, but it's the spirit. There's something inside him that gives him understanding. So I just want to again reinforce understanding comes from God. Skip to verse 10. Here we go. While I was laying in my bed, it's the king again. This is what I dreamed. I love this dream. I saw a large tree. Of course, great. All good dreams have trees in them. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Sounds like a nice dream about a great tree. I like that dream. It's a nice dream. I'd be okay with that dream. The problem is I want to stop there because of what happens next. Here we go. He says this, Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, <laughs> Cut down the tree and lop off its branches. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground. 
bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now pay attention to how the messenger refers to the tree. So far it's been it. Okay, now watch what happens here. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. Verse 16. For seven periods of time, let who? Him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. Doesn't sound like he's talking about a tree anymore. For this has been decreed by the messenger. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Can you start to figure out what this dream means? You know, if you know the story, you might. If not, okay, Daniel's going to make it clear for you. Verse 22, that tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven. And your rule to the ends of the earth, the Babylonian empire, the king of Babylon. I mean, this and that point in history, probably, arguably, the most powerful person on the planet. That tree is you. Verse 20, then skip ahead to verse 24. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord, the King. Not such a great dream. It's basically a warning shot from God. It says, this was going to happen to you. You're the tree. You're getting cut down. It's going to be bad. Daniel offers some advice. Skip to verse 27. King Neb, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what's right. I'm telling you, it's much better than saying the whole thing. Stop sinning. Do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. Pay attention to what he says now. By my own mighty power. I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Come on. Bring the glory. Bring it, bring it, right? Just stop, don't stop, right? Stop, don't stop. Keep, keep, right? You can hear him, right? Sounds like he's worshiping the idol power. Can everybody say, uh-oh? <laughs> Here we go. Verse 31. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Neb, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. Man, seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as some of your children, right? As long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. God wasn't messing around. He does what he says he's going to do. And thankfully, Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. It doesn't end there. Verse 34. After this time had passed, guess who's narrating again? 
I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High God and honored the one who lives forever. What's he say? Oh, yeah, his rule? Yeah, that's everlasting. His kingdom? That's eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, he said, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. And he closes with this. Now I, Neb, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. I'd probably stop right there because we get it. You get it. It's such a profound story. I won't stop there. Um, I've got a few more pages. It reveals the power of God and the danger of the idol of power. So let's examine just for a few minutes how this idol works because my goal is to help us understand it so that we know how to fight it when it shows up on our own doorstep every single day. Here's what it promises. Here's what the idol of power promises you and it promises me. Ready? It promises authority. The ability to influence others situations, circumstances for your own purposes, for your own good. If I have more power, I can do what I want. No one can stop me. If I have more power, increased power means increased control, and that's good. Listen, you want to promote me? I won't turn it down. You want to give me more power? Fine with me. You want to give me more symbols of power? Get out of jail free card? More power. Give it to me. I'll take it. Whatever's going to represent more power in my life, I'll take it. It's easy to think that more power is an answer to our problems, especially when we feel powerless. When there are circumstances that we feel like, I can't change, I wish I could, I could do so much good if I had more power here, which is why it can be so tempting to worship power, and it's so dangerous. It was Frederick Douglass who said this, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. Power concedes nothing without a demand. So what does the idol of power demand? It demands that we believe a lie. It demands deception. We have to believe that we don't need anybody else. We just need the power. We have to believe that I don't need God. I just need the power. I don't need anybody else. Once I have the power, everything else I'm good. I don't need anything because I will be in control. I will have what I need. It's not uncommon. The people of Israel were warned over and over again. Listen, when you get successful, when you enter the land that I, I'm giving you, when you find yourself where you've been chasing your whole life, when you get there, be careful not to forget the God who led you there. Be careful not to forget in the land of plenty who gave it to you in the first place because there's something that happens when we get power. It corrupts us. It's so dangerous. It's a deception. We also have to believe that we're more powerful than we actually are, right? It's the king on the rooftop taking credit for the beauty of Babylon. Like, it's pretty clear to say he didn't build all that. I'm going to guess he didn't put a single block in place. And listen, there's no question, Babylon was amazing. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon are one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. I'm sure standing out there, like, I mean, 
from my perspective, right, what we've built with LifeTree, I mean, it's, listen, it's hard to, to, you know, sit here and go, man, I'm, you know, so much glory, so much glory getting back here, right? Our church is huge. Standing on top of Babylon? I mean, imagine your king. Wonders of the world. It's very easy to be intoxicated, say, this was for me. This was all for me. He took credit for something that was far beyond his power alone. And we also have to believe that the purpose of the power is for our good. See, the word for power comes from the word for hand. Literally, it's in your hand. You can do what you choose. You hold the outcome in your hand. That's what power means. You hold that outcome in your hand. Power is about authority and influence. God says he has all power. And you know what the very first thing God says to humans are? What does he tell them? So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multi. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry all on the ground. The very first thing God gives away is power. I have all power and I give you power now to rule, to reign, to have authority. And the point is this, God has given us power, not for our own purposes, but for the flourishing of everything around us. The point of power is to leverage it for the good of those around us. The idol of power corrupts the purpose of power. Over and over again. Here's the lowest level of power. Ready? Lowest level of power, I'm going to use it for me. I'm going to leverage power for me. I got power, I'm going to get what I want. Right? The first time you get the chance to do something, you're just going to serve self. Right? The first time you get money, I'm going to buy something for myself. The first time you get in a position where you make decisions, you make decisions that benefit you. Lowest level of power, self-serving. Then there's another level that looks kind of noble. This next level is, I'm going to now serve others with my power, but only a select few. I'm only going to use my power to benefit those around me who I like. Right? In, in Little League, we call that daddy ball. I'm going to be coach. After all these years, I'm going to be coach. And you know what? My kid's playing shortstop. But it looks like I'm not using it for me, but I'm using it for my son and his best friends. And I'll put them because it's my club. And you know what it is at its, at its base level? It's God playing. You're deciding who gets to be blessed and who doesn't get to be blessed based on your power. And it's still just as hurtful and destructive. It's still not the purpose of it. The highest level of power is to promote flourishing and good for all. For all. Period. Full stop. The highest level of power is to promote flourishing and good for all. God is clear. He will give us power and we will be held accountable. As Uncle Ben so famously stated to Peter Parker, to whom much is given, right? With great power comes great responsibility. We understand this. Here's where the idol of power falls short. When we worship power and seek power apart from God, we disconnect ourselves from the very source of our power. You unplug from the outlet. As soon as we start chasing power, 
right? You flick on the light switch, and guess what? Nothing. It's like standing at the ocean shore telling the waves to stop. Scream louder. Try more. Here's why it matters so much. We are meant to use our power for good. We are meant to use our power for good. Listen, the king, what was the king? In the dream, what was the king? He was a tree. He was a tree. You know what it says about the tree, right? It was life-giving. Blessed so many others, right? It says that the, the birds and the animals gathered under the tree for life, for homes. They made nests in its branches. They ate from it. There was shelter and shade and there was fruit giving. This tree was a source of life for an entire ecosystem. When we disconnect from the source of power, guess what? It didn't just affect the king. It impacted a kingdom. Because all of those in that kingdom now lost their king. They lost their, tra- their, their, their shade, their protection. They lost their provision, their home. Let's make this real. Okay? When we worship power, we cost ourselves power and those around us suffer. When we worship power, when we pursue power, that idol, those that we were supposed to have the power to bless, they suffer. There are so many families their mothers and fathers who have abdicated their power as parents to do good for their families because they're too busy chasing power for themselves. There are businesses with leaders who abuse their power and rather than providing livelihoods and flourishing environments for their employees, they cause pain and suffering and suck the life out of everyone around them because they're self-serving. In positions of power to do good, to, to create flourishing for all yet, They serve self. Our whole world right now is being affected by a leader who is using his power to attack through force. It's an abuse of power. The impact of abuses of power are littered throughout history. From wars to slavery to oppression to human trafficking to child violence, domestic violence, all sorts of of unspeakable things because people abuse power. Because they use that power to either serve themselves or serve a select few. The highest and only purpose of power is for the flourishing of all. If we are not using our power in a way that benefits everyone, then we're still aiming too low. Andy Crouch again said this, power especially concentrated power, always places us at a crossroads where we must choose between creation and destruction, between violence and flourishing. Those are the only options. It's either I'm going, to, I'm going to use my power for the good of all or I'm going to incur violence on someone. We're going to alienate and abandon someone who should have been the recipient of good, but because we're going to abuse the power, because we're going to narrow the field, we're leaving them out and they're suffering. If we worship the idol of power, we will suffer the same fate as the king. We will find ourselves at some point, ready? Out of our minds, chasing power, completely deceived into thinking we don't need God. We'll be driven away from the place we should be, from the role we should be fulfilling, from the people we should be with, 
from the flourishing both they and we should be experiencing. You may not eat grass like a cow. You may. I don't know. Some of you may grow really long hair, have some really weird nails. Idols always overpromise and underdeliver. But one thing you can count on, they're going to cost you the very thing you seek over and over again. Oof. Deep breath. But there's hope. But there's hope. Oh, kings and queens, you will live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of this world and gives them to anyone he chooses. There's a, there's a, there's a date, there's a line in the end where things can change. You don't have to live under the cycle of abusive power. We don't have to serve that idol. If we refuse to worship power, to chase after it, and instead, if we will trust the God of all power, he will give you all the power you need to do what you're yours to do. That's the hope. That the God of all power says, I will give you all the power you need to do everything that's yours to do. You will not lack an ounce of power. You will have everything you have at your disposal. The God who created everything, he said, I empower you. I will give you, listen, right? There's the, there's the, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. You will lack nothing. Just as the God who has all wisdom only gives us some because it's all that we need. He only gives us the wisdom we need. So also he has all power and will only entrust us the power we need because he knows too much wisdom, it's not healthy for us. Guess what? Too much power, not good for us. It corrupts over and over. We think more is better and it's just not true. It's a lie. It's a deception. God will give you all the power you need. In those moments where you feel powerless, here's what we need to do. This is where the tension rises. What, do, what happens when I feel powerless, but I think something needs to change? One, pray, God, give me power to do what you've burdened me to do. Two, if there's moments you've prayed, you've done all that, and you still don't have power, it's not yours to do. Plain and simple, there are times where we feel like, I wish I could do more, but it's not mine to do. We are not saviors, we're not Jesus. He's given somebody else the power to change that. You will have all the power you need to do what God has given you to do. Trust him for the rest. Trust him for the rest. Here's the best part. When we trust the God of all power, the power he gives us not only produces good in our lives, but it, it benefits all those around us. We can contribute to their flourishing. It's what we were made to do. I love this. I think it's my last quote from Andy Crouch. So. He says this, whisper in a human being's ear, Whisper in their ear, you shall be like God. And everyone will inwardly tingle with an inescapable recognition that this is somehow what we were made for. We're not God, no. But he has given us power and authority. You hold in your hand responsibility to change things. And we will give account for what God has entrusted to us. If we worship power, we abdicate it. We actually give it away. But if we will, in its right order, receive power from God, we will give account and he will give us what we need. When we leverage our power for the good of all, we are actually representing God. 
He says we are representing God to a world that needs to see him. Every time we use our power, every time you use your power to benefit others, for the flourishing of others, you are representing, representing God to the world. We carry his image on us. We are his image bearers. Others see his goodness expressed through us. Let me tell you, whatever you are, you don't understand the power you have. God has given us all power. You can use your power to create good. You can affect flourishing. Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar show us the range, right? One's a slave in a foreign land. One is arguably the most powerful person in the world. Doesn't matter where you are, top to bottom, in the food chain. Doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. All of those things, you can leverage your power to make a difference. Daniel's the one that the king needed the power from. And the king is still in a position to bless a kingdom. Wherever you are, God has given you what you need. You can be a blessing to your family, to your friends, to your co-workers, to your community. I tell you, do not ignore your power. Do not be afraid of it. Do not revel in it. <laughs> so what? So how do we practically live this out this week? Like really, we're going to get out of here. I'm probably going to go take a nap for the rest of the night. <laughs> But what do we do tomorrow and the day after and the day after to make sure that we are not giving in to this idol of power that continually says, hey, more power is better, more power is better. Again, every week we've looked at the it's a year of confident hope and we've gone with the, the kiss of hope, right? The kiss of hope. Here's what, what can you keep doing, improve doing, stop doing and start doing. It's four simple things. It's a great way to apply whatever you're, whatever you're considering. Here we go. What can you keep doing? One, just, again, these are just my suggestions. You can take this and do it. How, you can apply it however you want. These are just my applications. One, what do you keep doing? Keep acknowledging God as the source of your power. Just keep acknowledging God as the source of your power every day. Say, God, today my power is from you. God, I will continue to acknowledge you are my, my strength. I have no power apart from God. I will not cut off my connection to God you are the source of my power. What can you improve doing here? When you make decisions that will affect others, do not only think about what benefits you. And do not only think about what will benefit your friends. But truly say, God, help me make decisions that will benefit everyone. And only God can give you that wisdom. But God, help me understand what's the right thing here for everyone. If we will look around and only some people are benefiting from our power, then we're still aiming too low. We can improve that, take that higher. What can you stop doing? Stop trying to accomplish good on your own. Stop trying to depend on yourself. Right? Our world is increasingly becoming humanistic. The sense of find your uniqueness inside you. Discover the power that's inside. Just go deeper and you'll find your power. It's in there somewhere. You, know, you do you. You find you. And let me tell you, you know what that is? It's garbage. Absolute garbage. You know where you find your power? It's not somewhere deep inside. You're going to find a whole lot of nothing. My power comes from here. Stop depending on your own strength. I'm telling you now, it's not enough. I don't care who you are. I don't care how strong you are. It's not enough. Find your power in God. Stop trying to accomplish good on your own. And finally, what can you start doing? How about I just, let's just start measuring success by how well those around us are doing. 
Let's just start measuring success, not with how well am I doing today. I think we've set the bar too low. If I'm happy, I'm doing good. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. These people over here, they're struggling. Those people over there are struggling. But personally, I'm fine. I'm good. The world around me is burning. I'm good. I had ice cream today. It was a nice day. You know? I feel good. Can't complain. How about we start measuring success by whether everyone around us is flourishing? Are we using our power to benefit those all around us? And I want to close with this. Invite the band back up. And I'm just going to read a scripture verse. I invite you to close your eyes. This was written by Moses. And I just want to close with this psalm. It's Psalm 96. I want you to listen to the words. He says this, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Listen, the gods of other nations are mere idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. Heavenly Father, Guard us from worshiping those things that are fraudulent, those things that pose as you, those things that pretend to offer us what we, what we want, but that you actually give in its rightful measure. Guard us, and particularly guard our hearts from the desire for more power than we need, for more power than is healthy. God, we trust you are the God who has all power, you are on the throne. We have no need to take your place. Let us bow our knees in humble worship and acknowledge that you are God and that we, your people, sit in the shelter of the one who is the living tree, the good God. You are our shelter, our safe place, our refuge. You are our home, our provision, our provider. Lord, and let us not be deceived into thinking that we need to be who you are. But God, let us take the power that you give us and go steward it well. May we leverage the power we have for those around us in love for all of those around us. Lord, we thank you. Lord, let our world just abuse its power so often. Lord, help us be different. Let us represent you well as we take the power you give us and bless the whole world through it. Lord, your word promises that you will bless the world through us. We ask you to do it.
We submit ourselves to you today. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to close with a song. just want to encourage you. Let's worship the Lord. Put him on the throne. Make sure we're not on it. And as we sing, let this be our declaration and our commitment that God is the Lord of all of us.